Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're listening to the Tour Coach Podcast, giving you insights into golf instruction at the highest level from on the PGA Tour to our learning center at Frederica Golf Club. So welcome into the Tour Coach here. One of my favorite places in the world is Las Vegas, Nevada, for obvious reasons. If you listen to me, you know I enjoy drinking wine, having fun. Not many places better at it than here. And uh, one of the cool things about teaching golf is that you get to meet interesting people. And over my years of teaching golf, I don't know that I've met anybody more interesting, more fun, become a better friend than our next guest here, Shane Sigsby. Shane's a great mid-am, and I don't mean that in a negative way because some people, you know, the mid-am stuff, but great mid-am, played college golf at Notre Dame, won the Anderson four ball with Kenny, who's sitting across the table from us, Kenny Abalo. You're a professional gambler, 100% one of the most interesting people I've ever met, and you've had a long lineage, that's a big word for me tonight, by the way, of great instruction, and I'm excited you're sitting in with me on the tour coach. Hey, I'm excited to be here, Tony. I've listened to your last few podcasts, and I feel a little ill-qualified since this is mainly a golf podcast, but excited to be here with you, talk a little golf, talk a little gambling, and uh, maybe even talk a little uh, little food and wine. Well, first of all, let's talk about the red wine we're having tonight, because that's really more, way more important than any of the golf that we're going to talk about. So we're having a Macaulay 2012, which is a great vintage, Macaulay Tokuan which is uh, Beckstoffer Grapes. Macaulay's an up-and-coming uh, winery out of Napa. Their first vintage, I think it was 2010, and uh, Tokelon's the you know highest-priced grape in all of Napa. Macaulay's one of uh, 16 winemakers that, that uses Tokelon grapes to make their wine. All right, so let's, let's talk about how we met. As you stuff cotton candy in your mouth. That thing was so good. I don't know. <laughs> cotton candy foie gras. Yeah. We're in the middle of a dinner here in Las Vegas. Where are we eating? This place is fantastic. We're eating at Bazaar Meat. Bazaar started in uh, Beverly Hills, but they created a steakhouse here in Vegas. And it uh, it's my favorite steakhouse in Vegas. And they got a really interesting menu. We started out with some uh, uh, foie gras wrapped in cotton candy. And we also started out with some Sloppy Joe's deconstructed. And uh, that was for me because I love Sloppy Joe's. Key West Sloppy Joe's. Key West Sloppy Joe's Joe's came from. Yep. And um, yeah, we got some wine. You got a a little margarita in front of you. Uh, We got Kenny here. Got you here. You're only in town a couple times a year. You call me about half the time you're in town. So that's not true. Not true. But we're we're really good friends. You become one of my really good friends through teachers. Let's talk a little bit how we met. Sure. Interesting story. I'm here in Vegas for a day, basically day and a half well day what'd you do today um, i got anybody listens to the show knows i'm not too proud to say this but like butch Harmon's my right one i personally believe he's the greatest teacher in the game two just the whole aura around him if you watch him on the tee you watch how he is you watch how he talks i just think he's cool and um i've always said i aspire to be the very best at what i do so if I have the opportunity to go watch the person who's the very best at what I do, I want to go have the opportunity to do it. And um, Butch was very gracious. He's my second time to come out. And I hung out and watched him teach a golf school today, and I thankfully didn't have to do much. I just kind of stood in the background. I was a fly on the wall, and it was a great day. And now I get to have dinner with you and Kenny. So let's talk about how we met. 
Yeah, so um, I've been in Vegas for about seven years, and um, one day I came out to Southern Highlands and uh, was playing with Kenny and a, another buddy of ours, Todd, and uh, Butch was out there that day. And Butch said, you know, Shane, you, you live here full time? And I said, why? Well, I, I live here nine months a year, but I, I live in Mobile, Alabama a few months a year, too. And he, and he said, uh, he said, oh, he says, uh, there's an instructor down there uh, named Tony Ruggiero. He said, have you heard of him? And I said, no, you know, what, what club is he out of? And he's like, I'm not really sure. And I looked it up, and you were at Country Club Mobile, and that's that's the main golf course down in Alabama. And yeah, so I was I was having uh, breakfast with Butch before we, we played golf that day, and he mentioned your name, and I looked you up, and, you know, I wasn't really taking lessons from anyone at the time. Occasionally, I'd have Butch check out my swing. But I uh, took a lesson from you. We got, I don't know if you remember, but we got rained out. Right, it was storming. It was one of those Mobile, Alabama, days where like it can lightning like crazy and it was it, um, it poured so i think you saw a few swings but um just from what you said in the, in the beginning it, it reminded me a lot of the instructor i had growing up which was randy smith randy's um, one of the greats very non-technical doesn't use a what's that called a track man yeah and you know doesn't use a lot of video just is all by the eye and, and my swing as you know is very field based and uh you know, and, and taking lessons from you ever since. I guess it's been probably four or five years now. So, you know, one of the cool things for me is I look at players that I've taught that stretch me, that make me think a little outside the box. Lucas Glover would certainly be one because he wants to hit a bigger shape draw than normal, you know, than a lot of players. There's been several along the way. You were one because you were already a very good player, but you had a lot of moving parts. Right, there's a lot going on in there. Yeah, but you were already really good, and we're gonna. I, I've posted some videos of Shane on my Instagram before, and I'll probably post them when this podcast comes out. But so let's talk about what we've done. First of all, one of the things I think when you're teaching a player that's already really good, you got to be careful about changing what their good traits are. You're you're a really damn good driver of the golf ball, and you're very long. Like you're Kenny. You, you played. He's tour long. He really is. He's tour long. And so you're exceptionally long. Let's talk about what we did. Yeah, I think I think the main thing is when we first started working together, I told you, I said, look, Tony, I have a job. I have a wife. I have kids. Now it is gambling, but it's um, still a job. It's, it's still a job. And I, I said, the reality is, is I play golf one or two times a week. I mean, I got in the car and there was 10 grand in cash sitting in there. So, I mean, and we were I meeting felt a pastor. <laughs> and we were meeting a pastor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're not editing that. I'm being serious, folks. A pastor brought us 15 grand in cash when I was getting in the car. Okay, go ahead. Let's Any, talk about it. Anyways, between my my vigorous work schedule and family, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time. I, I can't imagine the last. Can't remember the last time I went to a driving range. So I said, you know, give me basic things. Give me give me one or two things I can work on. Because the reality is, is I'm not going to go to the range tomorrow and work on what we talked about. I'm going to have to kind of figure this out on the golf course. And I think that the main thing we've worked on, which I've worked on my entire life, you picked on very quickly, is quieting my left leg. 
I'm kind of using it more as a post than having it, you know, move move to the center. Right. I thought, you know, so you vote, you know, you could look at your swing from a down the line view and see that your left arm gets high and a bunch of different things. But if you look at your golf swing from the waist down coming through, and it's really, really good. That's why you hit a lot of good shots. But one of the things you said was like, my good days are real good, my bad days aren't very good. Yeah. And I said, well, like, I remember looking at your golf swing and saying, well, look, if we could keep that lower body, in particular left leg, a little quieter. And when I say quieter, I don't mean take it away. I don't mean take your golf DNA away, but just give you something to focus on that quieted it down so that the club kind of returned to the same low point in the same way every time we had a chance to help you play better. And so basically every time we've ever worked, we've worked on quieting your lower body down. And we've given you a couple ideas with, key, I think one of them was keeping your left knee kind of over your left shoelaces. Exactly. And, and as a result, that helped your hips turn a little more because the only way you could get the club back to where you were was for your body to turn. So we've talked a little bit. Your golf swing's idiosyncratic. Yeah. It's a big word for me tonight. but Two big words tonight. Two big words. but And I love it. It stretched me as a teacher because you were already good. And you and Kenny went on. You, let's talk a little bit about the Anderson. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, if so you're the, in the world of golf. The first, Anderson's a, a four-ball event held by Wingfoot. you got to be a member of the same club is one of the unique requirements. And y'all are members of Southern Highlands. Members of Southern Highlands. One of the, and, and a shout-out to the Southern Highlands. I've had the opportunity to come into town several times. Drew Steckel teaches there. Drew's unbelievable. Does a hell of a job. He teaches Jason Kokrak, who recent, won recently. Kevin Nye. And it's a cool, really cool spot. They've always been nice letting me hang out with you guys. So you guys play there. Yeah, so we, we got in. There's a member at Southern Highlands, Joe Murphy, who got us into the tournament. Our first year, we missed the cut, I think by one or two. Is, the, the way it is, it's two rounds of stroke play, one round on the east, one round on the west. And then it goes into match play, and it's uh, best of 16 on, they switch courses each year. So, you know, so one year all match play will right. be on the east, one year will be on the west. Um, and the, the second year we played, actually the second year, they sent me the invite, and the deadline to, to send in the invite was April 1st, and I forgot to send it in. So this the second year we actually didn't get to play. Way to go, to, Shane. Forgot to send in the invite. There was probably a parlay being played at the same time. <laughs> well, it was March, it was March Madness. So. I'll, I'll give Shane credit. It was, it was March Madness, and it was, uh, you know, it was about two weeks before his, uh, his firstborn was being born, so Riley, he was a little distracted at the time. So our third year, you know, in the Anderson, it has a unique rule. You've got three years to make match play. And if you don't make match play in your three years, you're out of the tournament. Really? No question. That's a fantastic format. We'll never do that in the Jingle Bell. Right. Because if you're in the Scott Smith flight, you're not making match play. They're pretty upfront about it, too. Are they really? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know right away. So our third year, we showed up, and we were like, all right, we really got to play our best, you know? And our first round was on the East course. So two years ago or three years ago? Three years ago, 2017. Yeah. And uh, first round was on the East course, and, man, Kenny just got hot. I mean, it was one of those rounds. I've seen Kenny do it a million times. I mean, we played today. I think Kenny shot 28 on the front nine. But we shoot. I think that's we why shoot. he's bringing a girl who's a forty handicapper to the jingle bell. <laughs> Sharp. But I, I think we shoot sixty-two the first day, and we're leading by three. And Which course did you play that day? We played the East. 
And, and Kenyon probably shot 63 on his own ball that day, and I, I think I kicked in a birdie somewhere. And then the next day, so we're leading by three, going to the second day of stroke play. When you were in the middle of that round, did you know that how good it was? Like, it was incredible. We started laughing at certain points. Like, like Kenny would hit it, you know, like down the left side, and they'd get a bad kick into the trees, and then he'd hit the shot like under a tree, you know, to these greens. These greens are sloped. Like, they look like oh, elephants are buried in them. And, you know, and he hit it to six feet. You know, I mean, we were just hitting one in 50 shots every hole. And when I say we, I mean Kenny. And so the second day, we played the West Course, and the West Course has is, is got some teeth to it, like I'm sure people saw in the U.S. Open. Oh, it's um, crazy. <laughs> and we got it around. I, I think we shot 70 or 69. Um, Golf course is hard. Really hard. And we ended up being medalists. That's a best ball. Yeah, that's a best ball, best ball 70. Um, and we ended up being medalists by a stroke. Again, we were leading by three the first day. But but so we're the number one seed. The first round, I can't remember specifically who we played in match play, but this year the match play was on the east. And it was just one of those years where, like, Kenny was playing the best golf I've ever seen him play, and I, was, I had some good holes mixed in there in match play. And we actually never trailed a single match, all of match play. We were never down. We were never down at any point in any match. When we played two really good guys in the finals, we played uh, Brett Boner and Brett Stephen Woodard. And so look, Stephen Brett Boner, second in the minimum, played at Frederick a couple weeks ago. Okay, I knew him growing up. He took lessons going through college, and as a young pro from our friend Wayne Flint, you yep. know Wayne. Yep. Wayne texted me before the match and said, "Right, uh, you know, I taught." Brett, uh, yeah. growing up, why don't you go ahead and let him win tomorrow? He asked you to let him win tomorrow. Yeah, he's like... Well, I mean, like, Wayne, he, he's won a little exposure. I get it, but, like, I'm just going to take You didn't have any mercy on him. Well, it, you know, the, the final But Brett's match, a hell of a player. Played oh, it over. Heck of a player. Um, he's good. Brett's a hell of a player. Yeah, really good. So this was our fourth match in two days. So it was 36 holes a day. And honestly, we got to the tee, and we were first tee, and we were all so tired at that point. And uh, I don't think a, a lot of great golf was played that afternoon from what I remember. I, I think they struggled, and I think we struggled too. But we struggled a little bit less than they did, and I think we ended up closing them out 2-1. and one, And then actually uh, the following year they won it, you know, so. That's cool. Yeah. I want to talk for a minute about mid-am golf. Love to. I don't think near enough people, first of all, some of the mid-am golfers and the mid-ams that I've had the fortune to know and teach, like yourself, like Michael Johnson, gotten to know Kenny, great players and some interesting people and stories. And if you follow mid-am golf out there, y'all play some amazing golf courses and there's some amazing golf out there. It's the best form of golf. I mean, the Mid-Am tournaments, the, the tour goes to Whisper Rock, Oak Hill, Wingfoot, Butler National, Floridian, Castle Pines, Castle Pines, LACC, Seminole, Pine Valley. Golf Club, Pine Valley. There's not a bad course on the list. You meet a bunch of interesting guys, generally successful people. Give me an interesting guy and an interesting story you've met. Either of you can chime in on this. There's a pretty high-profile mid-am that is a gigantic bookie. That's my most interesting person I've met out there. You can't talk about yourself. You haven't met yourself. <laughs> hey, I'm not a bookie. I just, I'm the better. But, yeah, the most interesting guy I've met out there who's a phenomenal guy and a phenomenal golfer, I love his story. Kenny? I mean, you know, it's, it's filtered with, with a lot of guys, real estate, insurance. So a lot you know, of insurance guys. Yeah, you're always, you're always They work 10 hours a week. I should be an insurance guy, 100%. That, I, honestly, that's my favorite story. I, it's maybe 
maybe not a, a player, but it's the best thing I ever heard the first time I played in a mid-am, is uh, the, the U.S. mid-am is the only place that you go and you exchange scorecards and business cards. <laughs> and so it's like, you just go there and you realize that, that everybody you play with is a member of a place that you probably want to go play. And in these tournaments, that's kind of the thing that, that's my favorite part about it is I got friends now all over the country at golf courses I want to go travel to and play. And again, being here in Vegas, everybody comes to us. So. Most, most mid-ams, the cool thing is, is most mid-ams, they play golf twice a week. You know, the guys that, that play golf five days a week, like Stuart Hagestad, they're not real mid-ams. I mean, he's a, you know semi-professional golfer um, but the guys that play golf twice a week we all have bad days we all have some good days and we can all win the the holy grail which is the u.s mid-am and the cool thing about winning the u.s mid-am is if you win it you get into the masters right you know and that's that's just a dream for for all of us all of you know and, and any of us could win it any given year it's a dream as a teacher right i mean i'm fortunate i mean i i was at the, i was at augusta and what 16 and I'm going back this year in the fall, but like, as a teacher, that's your goal, right? Yeah. I mean, as much as all the other majors, I think, are cool, Augusta's something special. I'll tell you, a person I'm excited about becoming a mid-am soon is Bobby Wyatt. Will be a legitimate mid-am October, I think, November, somewhere there he gets his amateur status back. Yeah. I think he's going to be a great mid-am. I played with him uh, a couple of months ago. He's, uh, he's going to cause a lot of havoc on the mid-am circuit. He's good. He's unbelievably good. Unbelievable. Look out, guys. Still, <laughs> to this day, I tell people all the time, probably the most one of two if not the most talented player I've ever taught, had the good fortune to teach, and I've taught him since he was a kid, but uh, I think he's going to do exceptionally well out there. Gosh, he's a nice guy. Unbelievable. Yeah, smart, good kid. Working for Goldman. Goldman. So we talked about, you know, kind of how we work. You had some great instruction growing up. I want to pick your brain a little bit on this. One of my favorite people I've ever had the chance to teach with is Randy Smith. I mean, I don't know that you're going to meet a more genuine teacher and a guy that loves golf as much as Randy Smith and Dallas. Yeah, I mean, I, so I was in eighth grade. I was uh, getting ready to enter my freshman year of high school, and uh, Hunter Mahan had just won the U.S. Junior Am. And he was going to be my high school teammate. He was going to be a, a senior when I was going to be a freshman. And he was taking lessons from this guy at Royal Oaks named Randy Smith. And just being a new golfer, I guess, you know, a young golfer, I didn't really know much about it. And first time I went out there, Hunter was out there taking lessons, and Justin Leonard was out there taking lessons. Pretty good group. And this is back in 97? Okay. 97. I mean, Justin Leonard was the man. Justin know? was the man. So I got, went out there and, and got a lesson with Randy and um, – just really enjoyed his instruction. You know, like you said, I have a really unique swing, and Randy didn't try to, you know, overhaul that swing. He, he took what we had and, and tried to work with it, and I've always enjoyed that about Randy, and I think your teaching style is very similar to Randy. Randy's one of the legends of instruction, and uh, I'll tell you, one of the early in my teaching career, I did a junior school and Rob Aikens held up in Nashville, and I was super pumped when I got paired with Randy to go do short game. And, uh, I mean, he was just he was just a cool guy. You know what I mean? A little bit like I talked earlier about Butch. Yeah. Like, he's got similar. that art. Like, he's he's a cool guy. If you're coming up underneath neat these legends in instruction, Randy's a legend, Butch is a legend. I mean, it's he's a cool guy. So you work with Randy, spend some time with Butch. We've worked. I'm certainly on the bottom of the totem pole. 
you've had a bunch of success as a mid-am. So now let's talk about your professional career. You're a gambler. Yeah, so I went Cue to Notre- Kenny Rogers music. <laughs> I went to Notre Dame, got a finance degree. We're both big Notre Dame fans, too. That was another bond. That was a bond for us, for sure. Um, went to Notre Dame, got a finance degree, played golf there. Uh, came out of school, took a job as a derivative Met your trainer. wife playing golf at Notre Dame. I did. She played for, uh, or she went to school in Tuscaloosa. Met her at a golf tournament there. And coming out of school with a finance degree, I took a job as a trader in 2008. I did not even know that. And uh, this was in 08. I was a trainee. I was training to become a trader. And then 09, I Where'd started Where did you live during that? I lived in a high-rise in Chicago. But So I'd work during the day as a trader, and then at night I'd go to the boats and play poker all night. And I'd wake up the next morning and do it again. Loved poker at the time. My, my first year out of college, I won a poker tournament for uh, 216000 when I was 21 or 22. You won 216 grand? Yeah, when I was 22. And, um, and it, But I still had the day job. But then in 2009, when the markets crashed, I uh, lost my day job as a trader. And everybody else from our company kind of jumped ship and went to a competitor. And I was really passionate about poker and gambling. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to go play poker, and then I'll come back and be a trader in a year. And I went and traveled around. I went to all the different poker shops. I went married to, at this time, or was was dating Rachel? At okay, the time. not married yet. But we went and traveled around. We went to L.A. And we she to, liked the fact that you were a poker player. She didn't love it, and we uh, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's honest. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think she liked trader uh, Shane better than poker player Shane. But, um, you know, I mean, the only person that hated it worse than her was my parents. You know, they in their mind, they're like, look, you just went and got this quarter million dollar education. Are you really going to be a, a gambler? You know, like, you didn't need to go to Notre Dame to be a gambler. <laughs> I was going to bring that up, but I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, so the saving grace that I kept telling my parents was like, look, I just need a year. You know, I want to go get this out of my system. Yeah, I mean, touchdown Jesus is going to help us here. Yeah, I was like, he's going to give us some luck for a year, and then I'm going to come back and have, you know, a solid career, you know, that I can settle down in. And went and traveled around. We went to L.A. for a while. We went to Australia. We went to the Aussie Millions for all of January of uh, 2010. And went and kept traveling around to these stops and had a little bit of success. Nothing. Playing poker? Playing poker. But the one thing that kept coming up, these stops, was people would talk about their backers. And I'd always be like, well, what's a backer? You know, like, I understand the concept, but like, how does it work? You know, and they'd be like, oh, you know, my, my dad, you know, gives me money and I play in these tournaments and he gets a percent of the winnings or, you know, my friend Billy, you know, plays in these, you know, puts up the money and he takes a percent of the winnings. He takes all the losses. But as I met these guys and they would talk about their backers, it was never a professional company that was backing people, you know? And so my idea back in 2010 was to create a company that, that professionally backed poker players. We provide coaching, just like we, you know, provide a swing instructor. We provide management. We provide capital uh, and kind of guidance for poker players' careers. And started out with a few guys and had some success early on, and then grew it to be about an 80-person operation at the peak. And then along the way, I ended up eventually landed in Vegas full time in 2015. And then uh, that's kind of when sports betting uh, started back in 2015. So sports betting unless your head's in a hole, has become a big deal in the United States. You know, when I was growing up, Jimmy the Greek was on the CBS pregame show, and that was like a big deal, right? But, like, gambling at that time, to me, around professional sports was taboo. 
people talked about it, but it didn't seem as mainstream. I remember the first time I bet with a bookie, I was in a bar and they had a phone on the side that you would pick up and call this guy, right? I think I still owe him 150, but anyway, so gambling is part of business today. And yeah, yeah. part of golf. Part of golf. And uh, PGA Tour, I don't know all the business, and I'm not going to pretend to know all of it, but I know a week or so ago, Tour was playing in Vegas, Shadow Creek. They've merged with some partnerships where you could bet different things as shots were happening. Talk a little bit about what you see with that and the benefit for golf. Yeah, so MGM owns the, the golf course here in town called Shadow Creek. And last week they had the, the tournament out there, and they were offering odds on every shot hit by the feature groups. You know, you could you could bet on Kokrak on 17, well, he hit the green. You could bet on Kokrak on 18 versus uh, Shoffley. You know, I, I think on the final hole, Shoffley was minus 140, and Kokrak was plus 110 on the final hole of regulation. You know, and, and Shoffley, I think, made par. Kokrak made birdies, and the underdog won that matchup. But, but as this comes, you know, more popular, uh, I think it's going to draw a lot of interest in golf. You know, you've got people that are interested in golf because they want to watch golf, but now you've got people interested in golf because they're betting on golf. You know, the UFC has done so well in the last five years, seven years, not necessarily because people enjoy watching mixed martial arts, people but because people are betting. Out of yeah, them, they're, yeah, they're, people are betting on it. You know, and this is a huge draw. And this is the future of golf for sure. You know, the bet, uh, live in play. You know, there's always been, you know, odds on who's going to win the tournament or, you know, player X against player Y. Um, but being able to bet shot by shot, will this player make a par or a birdie or a bogey or will this player make this putt? That's the future of golf. And that's what's going to draw interest. And it's going to drive viewership up huge for the PGA Tour. So you were the first person that ever really taught me anything about prop bets. That's kind of your claim to fame. With me. I love a good prop bet. And I'll never forget one time, one of the first times I was teaching a player down in Jupiter, and I won't say his name, but I, I pulled it up on the phone and I was like, hey, you got to look at how many rushing yards so and so got today. It's like, so what are some of the bets when you look at for folks that want to bet legally, PGA Tour Golf, what are some of the things they should look at? So a lot of people bet the futures. Like a lot of people last week liked Xander at 14 to 1. He was kind of coming back. And, you know, the problem is, is, you know, you got a great bet, right? Like Xander finished second. So you got a great bet. But the thing is, is you're betting him to win and he's got, you know, he lost. Even though you had the right side of the bet, he didn't win. And it's just a high variance bet. So I prefer the matchups, you know. I think a good example is Brooks last week, you know, like, a lot of people knew Brooks was coming back from an injury, and a lot of people, were, you know, were betting against him. And then some people, you know, I think heard he lost two million dollars of blackjack Monday night, and some people definitely bet against him. I did not know that. So, wow. you know, instead of betting Brooks won't win the tournament, some people bet against Brooks in the matchups. You know, and I, I don't know anybody in particular, or know anybody personally that bet against him, but that's a much lower variance route. You know, you get, you know, something like that's going on, or you think someone's coming back from an injury and it's a first tournament back and they may have a rough time or, or you know someone's playing a really tight golf course and how do know, you handicap how do you handicap golfers i think the biggest thing is is being a golfer knowing what's real and knowing what's static okay you know that's like, a good point like a lot of people overvalue certain categories because they're just not golfers you know you got people handicapping golf but they can't break 100 themselves 
and they don't really know like what matters. You got to know also courses for horses. You know, there's there's certain courses out there on tour. For example, some people don't like to put poana. You know, correct. They prefer a very true bent grass green. You know, and they really right. struggle on the west coast. And you could tell me what players those are, and you know what I'm talking about. But people, 100%, 100%. people that can't break a hundred, they don't know the difference between putting bent grass or poana. They're just looking at someone's putting statistics. And they bet over the, the same the favorites every week, regardless of the condition. Exactly. So there's certain course knowledge, you know, you, you got to know, you know, if someone doesn't like, you know, tight courses, you know, they, they like to work their ball left to right or they like to work their ball right to left and you're playing a tree line course, that course isn't going to set up well for them, you know, and they're all they're looking at is driving accuracy. Well, someone who works at 10 yards left to right or 10 yards right to left, I'm sure they, they're a very accurate golfer, but if you go put them on a tree line colonial or, you know, a course like that, they're going to struggle out there. We're obviously heading in towards Augusta. It's probably going to air a week or so before Augusta. Maybe the week before. If you were handicapping Augusta and you were looking at people that hypothetically you would gamble on or look at to be an edge at the Masters, what are things you would look at and people you would look at? I think one thing I would look at is how much the media talks about certain people and what that's going to do to their odds versus what are their true odds of winning. We both know Bryson posted a picture today that he carried a ball 403 yards. What do you think about that? I don't know what to think about that. I'm just an odds guy. But okay. <laughs> but the thing is, is that the media is going to upplay his yardage and his 48-inch driver and everything else after his U.S. Open victory is so much before the Masters. And his odds are going to be so low. My preference would be to short Bryson. Like, if his odds are 5-1 to one or 6-1 to one to win the Masters... I'd be betting against that. Right. You know, like you'd take the field. Yeah, I would love to take the field at six to one over Bryson. You know, I think Speed, you know, is a guy that, that has traditionally played extremely well at Augusta. Um, and I'm sure his odds are gonna be really low too. But the fact of the matter is that Jordan struggled, you know, the last couple of years. And no matter how much he likes Augusta, that's not gonna change that, you know. You know how much golf is mental and, and he's definitely built up some scar tissue over the last couple of years. You know, one guy can only miss so many four-footers before some scar tissue is built up. And, man, Augusta, it's really going to, you know, challenge his putting out there. Guys that I would look for to bet on, I love Xander. I think Xander is one of the most underrated guys out there. 100%. Love Xander. Give me a couple dark horses people could bet in matchups. And I want you to evaluate some of the favorites, too, but go ahead. So, Augusta in November, it's going to be playing long, right? Coming out yep. of overseas. I know Lucas and Andy both played. Both said it played. Extre- obviously, you're a month, you're three and a half weeks out. Heard the greens. You could, you could play the tournament today, and it'd be exceptional. Playing long. You know who's been playing really well lately is uh, Hatton. He, uh, he, you know, he won in Europe two weeks ago, and then he flew overnight to Vegas and almost won Vegas. He did. And he threw a club too. He's <laughs> I saw the guy's that. on a roll. Oh, the bunker guy's fun to watch. Oh, he's, he's, my, he's my favorite watch. He favorite. played with Lucas. <laughs> Lucas broke a club, and he was proud of him. I mean, I'm telling you, patting like, him on the back. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I'm telling you, I like the guy. Yeah, I do too. He's definitely one to watch. You know, Patrick Reed's playing good this week. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be one of the favorites. Okay. At the Masters. Always is, and he should be. If you've won there, you're going to be a favorite. I would love to see our guy JT do well there. I think if you ask me of the favorites, and I rule out my players because 
I think it's probably against some rule to pick your people. And I'm Italian, so I obey the rules. But I think Justin is going to play well there. I really like Justin's chances. He's going to be in it for sure. Not only is he a, a great player, he's a great guy. You know this because we've all been on group text, but, like, I'm a big Justin Thomas fan. Like, I think he's a good – I think he's a good egg, yeah, right? I think a he's a good guy. dude. He's a great guy. And, he, and he's good to people around him. Him and his dad, Mike, they've done a hell of a job. He's uh, he's leading today after yeah. uh, day two of Sherwood. Right. So, I, you know, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to not find a scenario in which Justin is a factor in it now. We're talking about gambling, so however you bet that, but I think he's going to be a factor. I'm going with Shoffley to win. That's my that's my final answer. So you're going with Shoffley to win. Yep. Kenny, who do you take? I mean, I know he hasn't played in a while, but if he gets a chance to play anytime soon, I think DJ is a big favorite right there. Going into it. Dustin Johnson, I know he's got COVID right now, but like he was going to be a favorite this week. Yeah. He's not, he's not my favorite. He hasn't won there, obviously, but I think. I'm going to give you three do sweeper favorites. You ready? I think Tony Finau is going to have a huge Augusta. I love the way he plays. I think he's a good dude. His coach, Boyd Summer Hayes, is maybe the nice, nicest human being out there. He makes me look like the Grinch, <laughs> right? I'm going to sneaky predict Lucas Glover has a good Masters. Nobody would know better than you. Well, I mean, a lot of people can know, but I mean, I just I got a good feeling about it. So, I would say the harder the Masters, the harder Augusta plays, the better for Lucas. Would you agree with that? Thousand percent. I thought at the U.S. Open, it played very difficult, and I thought through three rounds, ball striking wise, three and a half rounds, it was phenomenal, and he was in the mix. I mean, if you take Bryson out of the mix, he was really in the mix, right? Yep. So what do you make as a gambler? I think this is interesting. As a gambler, not as me, a golf teacher, but as a gambler, how do you evaluate what Bryson's doing? And how do you factor that into the Masters field? I mean, it's just it's unprecedented, so it's hard to factor in. I mean, he's driving the ball unprecedented different distances. Um, you know, he's, he's come out and said that, you know, he's going to use a 48-inch driver for the Masters. He, he posted a, a video today or a, a screenshot today of him carrying at 403, and it's, that's without the 48-inch driver. Right. I don't know. It's just it's it's uncharted territory. Man, I tell you what. What's that do to the odds? I think it makes him a. I think it makes him a bigger favorite, partially because of how far he's driving it, right. but also because of all the hype. The media is going to be all over right. how far he's hitting it, and it's going to be all the talk. So does that make it? A, that champion. makes it a bad value to bet, right? In my opinion, it makes it a bad value. Yeah, you, you know, you want to you want to find hidden value. You know, if everybody's talking about the guy, never the media is all hyping him up. His odds are going to be going to be reflective. Of so that. what about Tiger? Where does Tiger sit in the in the value and the odds? He didn't look too good this week. Right, week at uh, at Sherwood. Uh, Played good today. Yeah, trust better today. Generally, Tiger is going to be a bad value, just because you're going to have so many recreational betters betting him that no matter what odds you get and no matter what you think of Tiger, same with Phil so a little much, bit, don't you think? Yeah, there's so much recreational money on both of them that it's just really rare you're going to get a good price on them. Do you ever bet a Tiger or a Phil, even when they're not a good value? but because you think that they're the guy that's going to win? I personally don't. 
but that's what I do for a living. You know, I'm sure there's some guys out there that will, uh, right. based on opinion. I mean, I, I'm looking for value. Uh, the fact that it's Tiger Woods or the fact that it's Phil Mickelson, it's it's really just player A and player B to me. Right. Um, and I'm looking at it as, you know, I think Tiger has a you know three percent chance to win, and the books offering sixteen to one on him. And at sixteen to one, you got to have a, a break even, you know, point of you know six percent or whatever. And I think Tiger's three percent, and uh, it's just not a good value. No, I agree with you. It reminds me of the old days. So you remember when you could get the Tiger versus the field bet? Unbelievable. You remember the British Open at St. Andrews? He was even money. Yeah. It's crazy. And he won. Yeah, he won. And I would have bet against him. Right. Every day you'd have lost. But I mean, you got 155 other guys. Somebody can't have a good week. Right. No question about it. Awesome story. Great friendship, more importantly. One of the cool things about teaching golf is the people you meet. You're 100% one of the most interesting people I've met teaching golf. I'm very appreciative of the opportunities I have. And I appreciate your friendship, and thanks for sitting in on the on the podcast here. Hey, it's so nice to, to sit in here on it. Normally, uh, I'm talking about gambling, so uh, getting to talk about golf and how it relates to gambling was really fun for me. Plus, and, you're uh, like kind of road to where you are, not just all gambling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Tour Coach. We'll catch you next time. Hopefully, you're coming to the Jingle Bell and you get to meet these two. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to. Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson, or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. If you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. As we go into year two of the tour coach, it wouldn't be possible without the support of all our sponsors. And I've had some great ones. And one of the things that I'm most proud of in my career and in my business is the fact that all of my relationships here and all these sponsorships have been long time, long withstanding relationships, haven't jumped from sponsor to sponsor and manufacturer to manufacturer. And I've always prided ourselves in special relationships and when people work together, support each other, and we've all put out great products for the benefits of everybody else. So I want to give a special thanks to these folks that have been with me for such a long time. And that would be the folks at Shrixon, Cleveland Golf, and Zexio. Couldn't ask for a better manufacturer to be aligned with. And not only do they put out great product and great support, but they're first-class people and they believe in what we're doing here on the Tour Coach and with the Dew Sweepers and also Vineyard Vines. Ian, Shep, TJ, and all the folks at Vineyard Vines it's hard to keep me looking good, but they do a fantastic job. And they're like family. They support everything on the Dew Sweepers. And we're so proud to be affiliated with and support the folks at Vineyard Vines. So if you're out there, you're listening to the Tour Coach, please support our sponsors, Shrixon Cleveland Golf Zexio, as well as Vineyard Vines. And keep listening and keep enjoying hanging out with us here on the Tour Coach.